Welcome to the By Way of Commandment podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the finer points of his doctrine. Join us as we study the gospel through the scriptures and standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome everyone to the By Way of Commandment podcast. I'm Jacob. I'll be hosting by myself today. And I wanted to use today's episode to address the giant apocalypse-sized elephant in the room. Quite recently, I've had the opportunity to discuss some things about the gospel of Jesus Christ with some coworkers and friends, and it's amazing to me to hear the perspective of people both inside and outside the church regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who feel that the second coming is quite literal, Others feel that it's metaphorical or allegorical. And for whatever reason, some of my even LDS friends have a, what I would think is a misunderstanding of the scriptures and the, the topic in general of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the specific thing I wanted to talk about is, are we watching and are we preparing for the Lord's second coming? Is that something that we're actively engaged in? When discussing the second coming of Jesus Christ, we often hear this scripture from Matthew chapter 24 that speaks of all of the different uh, commotion, the calamities and the wars and all the different things that are going to be going on before his return. And this particular scripture is one that's quoted quite often, both in Christian circles generally and also in Latter-day Saint circles. And that's from Matthew 24, 36, where the Lord tells his disciples that, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, I, I think this particular verse of Scripture may sometimes be taken a little bit out of context, or if not taken out of context, then at least used in a way that almost excuses the student of the gospel, excuses us, from paying close attention to the signs of his coming. Because, you know, hey, we don't know when he's coming. Uh, We don't know the hour or the day. But, you know, only he knows. He knows when he's coming, but we don't. So I think that's a fault. I think this is my personal opinion, as is everything that we discuss on this podcast. But I think that that's a bit of an excuse. And I've heard this before from friends and uh, people that I associate with, uh, both inside and outside the church. That, you know, we don't know when he's coming, and so it doesn't really matter. All we need to do is just, you know, be good Christians and keep the faith, and everything will be fine. And I think that's a little bit of a misunderstanding. And so I wanted to talk about this particular topic today. Are we watching and preparing for the Lord's second coming? You know, only a few verses later in Matthew, verses 42 through 44, he also gives, the Lord also gives his disciples this uh this little qualifier, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So we, we, have, we have two things going on here in the same chapter, only a few verses apart. One is, you know, we don't know when the Lord's coming. And the other part is, but we need to be ready. We need to prepare. 
We need to watch. So are we doing that? Currently in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, in the year 2021, we are studying the Doctrine and Covenants. And what will be coming up in a few weeks as we'll get to Doctrine and Covenants section 45. And I feel like there are some really excellent scriptures in Doctrine and Covenants. The Doctrine and Covenants is full, chock full of scriptures about the Lord's second coming. Uh, a lot of them reiterate things that we learn in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Uh, and a few of them give us a little extra, you know, some more detail about some of the things that are going to be going on and how to best prepare. In section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, in verse 39, the Lord tells the church through Joseph Smith, he says, And it shall come to pass that he that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. So why are we watching? Why are we preparing if we don't know when the Lord's coming? Or why are we why are we bothering to even watch and try and take notice of the signs if we don't know when he's coming? Let's just, you know, let's all just be prepared, right? Let's just, you know, get our food storage and just keep the commandments. Everything's going to be fine, right? So, so what's the need to watch for all the signs? But the commandment is that if we truly love Jesus Christ, if we fear, uh, and the, the word here in the scripture is, he that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day. But I think we can almost use that as he who loves me and he who respects me and reveres me, he who wishes to keep my commandments shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, that's another scripture that we often hear. It's, he's going to come as a thief in the night. But let's read on. It says, For when they shall say, they, meaning the world, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And here's the, here's the important qualifier in the next verse, in the next few verses. Remember, Paul is talking to the church. Uh, he's well aware of his audience. He's talking to the ancient church and explaining to them their role in these things and the role of the church generally in these things. He says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Watch, there's that word again. Paul understands the gospel. He's an apostle. And he's teaching the church in, in this particular section of verses that, yeah, to the world, the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. And we might not know the hour and the day that he comes. However, we of the church, those who have made covenants with the Lord, are commanded to watch and be sober and not sleep, that that day should not overtake us as a thief. It'll overtake the world as a thief, but it shouldn't overtake us. We should be watching and we should be recognizing the signs of his coming. 
I've talked to a lot of people inside the church, uh, certainly on my mission and even recently, and it's very interesting to know just how many people really don't seem to care too much about these things. They don't worry about all the signs of his coming. And you have different camps. There are those who just don't think about it. It's just not on their radar, not something they care about too much. Then you have those who, for some reason or another, uh, almost kind of refuse to study these things because of how scary some of these last days events are going to be or already are. And so it, it it's just better not to not to study it, not to read about it, because it'll just create some you know anxiety or you know, might make me sad or depressed or whatever. And I, I have to say that I personally don't feel that way. I, when I study the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when I study particularly the last days, the signs of Christ's coming, and the events that will unfold that lead to his coming and into the millennium, while, yes, I admit there are a lot of, you know, negatives, there's a lot of trials and tribulations and things that that we're going to go through as uh, both members of the church and as people on this earth generally. I look forward to these things. I I don't know what that is. It's something innate within me that I look to these things and I almost welcome them. And I hope that I can continue to look forward to the, the day of his coming as not just a great and terrible day of the Lord, but a great day of the Lord and a day of redemption, a day of, of hope and healing. And I think that that's part and parcel with the message of the apostles in the scriptures and, and modern prophets and apostles, that the day of Christ's second coming is, is to be this wonderful, glorious event that we should look forward to. And the trials and tribulations that we're going to experience on this earth are really meant to strengthen us and prove us and make us just that much more reliant and dependent on him. And if we can do that, I, I think we'll come out the other end much stronger spiritually. Uh, again, that's that's my two cents, but I, I hope that that hope remains with me. I, I hope that those listening to the podcast and those studying these things, and, and those of you who may be apprehensive to study these things because you know they're filled with some calamities and wars and all these other things that are are supposed to supposedly taking place in the last days, I hope that you would feel a great sense of hope as you study further um, and, and keep reading and keep praying and, and do those things that... Um, help you keep your covenants, and I think the Lord would be more than willing, I won't speak for the Lord, I should say the promises of the Lord are that if we keep our covenants and we study the, study the scriptures and we pray and try to do all of those things that are going to keep us closer to him, then we'll be able to find peace and refuge and, and hope. And that's the real message, I think. So I, I don't want anybody to walk away from this podcast or any other podcast that talks about the last days feeling like, 
oh no, we're in for it and it's going to be awful. And I just don't even want to think about it. Um, let, let's try to have let's, I say let's let me and, and anybody listening and let's try to have a positive outlook on some of these things because I think that that day is going to be much sweeter and more glorious than we can even imagine if we can remain faithful. Again, my opinion, uh, but that, that's how I read these things. But it, here in Thessalonians, that's exactly what Paul's telling us, that if we're watchful and sober, that day will not overtake us as a thief in the night. What a comfort, what a blessing. We won't be overtaken as a thief in the night. That's pretty incredible. If we go back to D&C 45, verses 40 through 44, Jesus Christ says, And they shall see signs and wonders, for they shall be shown forth in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. Okay, so something that may be a little foreign to a lot of us uh, Latter-day Saints and, and Christians is looking to the heavens for signs. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who believe in, you know, the astrology type things uh you know there's all sorts of different calendars that are based on the sun the moon etc etc there's all sorts of different things and and for a long time i used to think you know trying to read signs in the heavens in the stars the constellations i felt was kind of silly but the more i've studied the scriptures the more i've really tried to dive into some of these topics the more i learn just how often the lord uses signs in the heavens and the stars to warn us or to teach us of things that he's that are going to happen on the earth there are several instances throughout scripture and where the lord uses the constellations as a sign to prepare the people on earth at that time for whatever's coming next but isn't that so interesting and i've done a little bit of you know googling to learn more about some of these signs in the heavens and how the ancient Israelites would look to the stars quite often for these signs. And that's something that I felt was a little lacking in my knowledge. As I said, I used to think of these things as quite silly. Who would ever look at at the stars and say, oh, look at what the stars are doing, and that must mean that XYZ is going to happen on Earth. Uh, I always felt that was a little silly. But the more I study these things the clearer it is to me that the Lord uses things in the heavens and in the earth to teach us. And here, that, that idea is validated. The Lord li- quite literally says that those who are looking shall see signs and wonders in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. The next few verses here in Doctrine and Covenants 45, um, and we're in verses 40 through 44 here, says, and they shall behold blood and fire and vapors of smoke. And before the day of the Lord shall come, the sun shall be darkened and the moon turned into blood and the stars fall from heaven and the remnant shall be gathered unto this place. Now, as I'm, as I'm reading these verses here from Doctrine and Covenants, I can't help but notice a striking similarity, similarity of these verses to another scripture from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Now what's interesting is when the angel Moroni first came 
to Joseph Smith and basically kept him all night with uh, vision after vision. One of the things we read in Joseph Smith history is that Moroni quoted several scriptures from the Old Testament and said that some of them were about to be fulfilled. Uh, One of those scriptures that Moroni quoted was from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through the end of the chapter. And these verses, particularly uh, verse 30 uh, and 31, mirror what the Lord's telling us in Doctrine and Covenants 45. And verse 28 in Joel chapter 2 starts with, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Here again, Moroni, quoting Joel, is telling Joseph Smith that these things are about to be fulfilled. He'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. The suns turn to, blood, turn to darkness and the moon into blood. Now, here's something very interesting. This is Joseph Smith at about 17 years old with an angelic minister teaching him the gospel. In October General Conference in 2001, President Gordon B. Hinckley, in the very first address of the Saturday morning conference, got up and spoke about this very topic, and he said, he said, the era in which we live is the fullness of time spoken of in the scriptures, when God has brought together all of the elements of previous dispensations, From the day that he and his beloved son manifested themselves to the boy Joseph, there has been a tremendous cascade of enlightenment poured out upon the world. The hearts of men have turned to their fathers in fulfillment of the words of Malachi. The visions of Joel have been fulfilled. And then he quotes these particular verses from Joel chapter 2. Think about this for a second. President Hinckley in 2001, October conference, gets up and quotes these verses I just read from Joel chapter 2 and states that these are fulfilled. And if we think back what was happening in October of 2001, this is one month, less than one month, from the tragic events of 9-11 when a terrorist attack struck the eastern United States. And as a result, the Twin Towers in New York City and the Pentagon and other um, buildings were uh, under attack as well. But the Twin Towers were quite literally destroyed by a terrorist attack, by terrorists using airplanes to, to destroy the buildings. And less than one month later, the president of the church, the prophet, who holds and exercises all priesthood keys on the earth, gets up and says, these things have been fulfilled. That's pretty incredible. I want to share a few other things since we're on the topic of signs that I think are pretty significant that have happened since then. So we learn the Lord uses signs in the heavens and the earth to teach us and to warn us of things that are to come. Some of the signs that he talks about is the darkening of the sun and the moon turned to blood and the falling stars from the heavens. If you do some internet searching, you'll find some very interesting things when you search 
moon turned to blood, sun darkening, you know, essentially a solar eclipse. What you'll find, what I think is quite interesting, and many of you might know this, uh, there's a lot of podcasters out there and a lot of YouTube channels out there dedicated specifically to the signs of the second coming. Uh, many of them are, are great. I've, I've watched many of them. I've watched a lot of them, listened to a lot of them. I think a lot of them are uh, pretty incredible, a lot of f phenomenal information, very well put together. And one of the biggest things that each of them has in common are some of the signs in the heavens and the constellations. One of the things that they talk about is the fulfillment of the first few verses of Revelation chapter 12. Now, I won't endeavor to read all of that here, but suffice it to say, if you look up Revelation 12 and then look up the date, September 23rd, 2017, you'll be amazed. If you, if you haven't looked this up already, you'll be amazed at what you see. This is direct fulfillment on that date in 2017 of the sign given in the heavens that was, saw, that was seen and recorded by John the Revelator. Incredible stuff. Just one month prior, in August of 2017, we had a full solar eclipse that was visible from the United States. And it crossed over the entirety of the United States from corner to corner. Now we're going to have one more giant solar eclipse that will cross over in the opposite direction, again, directly over the United States. And that's supposedly going to happen in April 2024, seven years apart from the eclipse in 2017 to the solar eclipse in 2024, roughly seven years apart. Uh, what's significant about the number seven? Uh, those of you who have studied scripture, you know what I'm talking about. The number seven in scripture, uh, certainly in Hebrew and Israelite tradition and all throughout scripture, the Lord uses the number seven as kind of a, a sign of completeness or wholeness or reconciliation, uh, reconciliation with God predominantly. The, the number seven is quite literally the number of perfection or completion. Isn't that interesting? Two full solar eclipses, only seven years apart, that cross over the United States in opposite directions from each other. And even more interesting, both of these solar eclipses, where they cross, where they touch, is right over Missouri. Brothers and sisters, what's significant about Missouri? I'll leave that for, for another time. I'll leave that for you to look into, but incredible stuff. Some of the other signs outside of the fulfillment of the Revelation 12 sign, as well as the solar eclipses, we have blood moons. I had to do a little bit of looking up. When was the most recent blood moon? Are there any more blood moons projected in the near future? Uh, as a matter of fact, in May 2021, only a, a matter of weeks away from the time that I'm recording this episode, we are going to have a blood moon, a full lunar eclipse that will be visible in most parts of the world. Brothers and sisters, it, these signs in the heavens are fascinating. They're incredible, and they're happening more frequently, as this century has commenced, we've seen more signs and wonders in the heavens, in the constellations, than we've seen really in, in, in any other comparable time period. 
I, I really challenge you to go look up online all of the different uh, solar eclipses, lunar eclipses, all the different blood moons and, and things that we've experienced over the last few decades. Um, pretty incredible. All in fulfillment of the scriptures, the things that the Lord is telling us to look for. Um, what's funny, as I was searching for blood moons, I came across an article from a website called universetoday.com. And the title of the article, written in 2015, is called A Red Moon, Not a Sign of the Apocalypse. Um, and then, of course, it goes into all the scientific reasons why the moon might appear red or blood orange and, and all of that. But I, I just thought that was funny. I had to share that. If we continue on in Joel, in that last verse, verse 32... It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. You know, I mentioned Missouri a moment ago. Well, we have again another reference to Mount Zion and Jerusalem. And in those two locations there shall be deliverance for those who call on the name of the Lord. And as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. If we look back at section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, in verse 43, just after the Lord's talking about the darkened sun and the blood moons and all that, in verse 43, the Lord says, And the remnant shall be gathered unto this place, and they shall look for me, and behold, I will come, and they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory. Who's the remnant? The remnant shall be gathered. We hear that in Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And again, here the Lord's telling us, reiterating in verse 43 of section 45, the remnant shall be gathered unto this place. Well, who's the remnant? If we turn to article, article of Faith 10, we learn that we, the church, believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the lost, tri lost ten tribes. Joel, the Lord... They're speaking about the remnant of Israel, those who are to be gathered. Just a few months ago during October conference 2020, which I'm sure many of us remember well, in his conference talk entitled Let God Prevail, President Nelson said something quite interesting. He said, For centuries, prophets have foretold this gathering, and it is happening right now. As an essential prelude to the second coming of the Lord, it is the most important work in the world. This premillennial gathering is an individual saga of expanding faith and spiritual courage for millions of people. And as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or Latter-day Covenant Israel, we have been charged to assist the Lord with this pivotal work. And then, of course, he goes on to describe some of the ways in which we can gather Israel. But think about that. The Lord is reiterating what he talked to, what he spoke to Joel in the Old Testament, what he spoke to other prophets, what he spoke to his apostles in Jerusalem, what he spoke to Joseph Smith through the angel Moroni, and what he spoke again to the Latter-day Church in section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants. He's reiterating the importance of the gathering of Israel as a sign of his coming. President Nelson explains that 
this is happening right now. We are gathering Israel as we speak, and it is the most important work that we have to do as a church. If we skip down a few verses in section 45 and start in verse 56, the Lord says, And at that day when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled which I spake concerning the ten virgins. The ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 is one that is quoted quite often as a preparation scripture, and for good reason. Something I think goes missed by a lot of Latter-day Saints is that every one of those ten virgins represents a member of the church. All ten of those virgins in the parable are called to the marriage ceremony. They're all called to the wedding, to the wedding feast. They represent us. They represent the church, those who have made covenants with the Lord, but yet only five of them were wise and took extra oil for their lamps and were watching for the bridegroom. I won't endeavor to go into the implications of the the numbers, the ratio there of wise virgins to foolish virgins in this episode, but it is quite interesting that half of them were wise and only half of, half of them were foolish. And we know what happens to the, the foolish virgins in the parable. They run out of oil and it's too late. They try to go get oil. They can't find oil in time. And by the time they get back, the doors to the feast are closed and they're basically left to themselves. So the Lord says in this verse that when these days come, then the parable of the ten virgins will be fulfilled. He says, continues in verse 57, he says, For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day, the day of his coming. And the earth shall be given unto them for an inheritance, and they shall multiply and wax strong, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. For the Lord shall be in their midst, and his glory shall be upon them. And he will be their king and their lawgiver. Some incredible blessings promised to those who watch and are prepared to, and who abide the day of his coming. The earth shall be given to them for an inheritance. They'll multiply and wax strong. Their children, their posterity, shall grow up without sin unto salvation. And if you read through the footnotes on the children, grow up, sin, salvation portion of that verse, you'll read some pretty incredible scriptures that promise uh, some blessings to those living during the days of the millennium, the days of Christ's actual reign on the earth, that thousand-year period of time that those living during those days will grow up without sin, and as soon as they reach uh, old age, they'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. They won't die and be buried in the earth the way that we are now. They'll simply be changed into their next state. Pretty incredible. And the greatest blessing, the Lord shall be in their midst, and his glory shall be upon them, and he will be their king and their lawgiver. He'll, he'll be there. He'll be in our midst. We'll have close association with him. In Doctrine and Covenants section 1, which was actually given in 1831, but was included at the very beginning of the original Book of Commandments and, and now the Doctrine and Covenants as we have them as kind of a, a prelude to the Doctrine and Covenants, this is what the Lord says. in verse, Starting in verse 12, he says, Prepare ye, 
Prepare ye for that which is to come, for the Lord is nigh. And listen to the next part. He says, And the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed. And the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. Now this verse is strikingly similar to one of my favorite verses in the Book of Mormon. And this is in 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 8. It says, But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution, behold, they are they which shall not perish. But the Son of Righteousness shall appear unto them, and he shall heal them, and they shall have peace with him. That's verses 8 and 9. I want to point out something that's slightly different in this verse here in the Book of Mormon from that of section 1 in the Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, one, the context in which is, this is given, this, this verse, if you read the surrounding verses in the chapter, it's talking about Christ's, uh, really Christ's first coming to the Americas. Um, and the, the prophecy here is that he'll come to the Nephites and Lamanites, those righteous who are left standing after all the destructions, the upheavals of the earth and so on. And he'll be with them. He'll teach them. He'll instruct them. And his glory and peace will be with them for multiple generations. But what do we understand about the Book of Mormon? It's, it's a record meant for our day. It's a record that was quite literally buried in the ground for hundreds of years, waiting for the right moment that the Lord would bring it again to the earth to be a tool, an instrument in the restoration of the fullness of the gospel. It's meant for us. It's a record for us. And so we can look at the scriptures in the Book of Mormon as a guide for us today, even though these are events that occurred with these people anciently, just as we look at the Bible and the scriptures written in the Bible as a uh, model or template for the things that we'll experience today. These things have, have parallels. Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming have parallels. And when we start to understand that, then we can start to piece together some of these scriptures, and we get a much clearer picture of some of the signs of his coming, some of the things that we're going to experience, and things we need to be prepared for. One thing I want to point out in this particular verse from the Book of Mormon that's different, or slightly different from that of verse 14 in section 1 of Doctrine and Covenants, it says, "...notwithstanding all persecution." So the righteous that hearken to the words of the prophets and look forward to Christ with steadfastness for the signs. It says, notwithstanding all persecution, they are they which shall not perish. The people in the Nephites and those who are looking forward to Christ coming to the Americas, they were persecuted. As we read the Book of Mormon, it talks about how they were quite literally the minority. They were seen by many people as crazy, as lunatic, and they were laughed at and scorned. And it even got to the point where they were being harassed and where the government, and or those in the government, those within positions of power and authority, wanted to quite literally put these people to death. That should the day come that had been prophesied of Christ coming to them in the Americas after his resurrection, 
Should that day come and he not come to them, oh boy, we're going to put you to death. Or excuse me, the, the day of his birth. Uh, it, if that day didn't come, if that sign wasn't for sure, then all the believers were going to be put to death. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here in our day, but what I am saying is maybe that's something to look for. Maybe that's something to, to be prepared for and to pay attention to. Are we, as Christians generally and as Latter-day Saints, going to experience some, some shape or form of persecution in the days prior to the second coming of our Savior? I think the scriptures have a, a pretty clear answer on that. If we read Revelation, if we read a few of the chapters from 1 Nephi, particularly 13 and 14, I think the answer is pretty clear that there's going to be some degree of persecution, some degree of, of scorn and scoffing and laughing and pointing the fingers at, at those of us who are looking forward to the signs of his coming. There's going to be some of that. Is there already? I think so. But the, the blessing here given to the Nephites and the blessing I think that's prophesied for us is that if we look with steadfastness and we watch and we prepare, then we'll be those who will not perish. We'll abide the day, whether that's us or our children or grandchildren or whoever's alive at that time, if we are prepared and if we are looking and watching and waiting and living with the Spirit as our guide, we will not perish and we shall abide the day. And the Son of Righteousness shall appear unto us, that he shall be in our midst and he shall heal us and we'll have peace with him. He'll be our King and our lawgiver. I want to end this thought today with a few verses from Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 4. 2 through 4. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. For those that abide that day, who remain faithful to their covenants, who look to Christ and his coming with hope and gladness and joy, they'll be able to see the new Jerusalem, that city coming out of heaven. They'll be with the Lord. He'll dwell with them, and he shall be our God. He shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more death sorrow, crying, or pain. What a glorious day to look forward to. For those of you out there and, and friends and family and those whom we care about who may be on the fence about some of these things, these things make them a little uncomfortable studying, or maybe they outright deny the literality of these events, I would say study the scriptures. Study the scriptures, keep your eyes open. I think we would all do well to have a little bit more faith. Again, these are just my opinions. These are things that I'm thinking about as I'm studying the scriptures. But I know many of you, like me, have experienced conversations with people who would rather bury their head in the sand and not really look at the scriptures, not study them, not take these things seriously. Some of whom are even uh, faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and other Christians of other denominations as well who are faithful to the Lord. And I would hope that we would have a little more faith than that. 
and look forward to these things with some faith and, and hope and joy. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope this has been uh, exciting. I hope it's been educational, inspirational. I hope that you've received something to think about from this. As with anything that we talk about on this podcast, I want to make sure that you understand these are my opinions. These are the things that I'm thinking as I'm studying the scriptures. I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen and allowing me to think out loud. I hope these things have been exciting for you as they have been for me. Until next time, bye.